You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spade. So we're coming up to Thanksgiving and we've heard about pilgrims. Pilgrims were fleeing religious persecution. But what does that even mean? I mean, they were leaving England. England is not necessarily a country that we associate with persecutors of Christians. Well, the group that would come to be known as the pilgrims were actually brought together by a common belief that worship should be organized independently of the trappings, traditions, and organization of a central church. They were not known as pilgrims. They were known as separatists. Okay? Now that kind of gives you a clue as to what they believed in. They met separately from the Church of England. Now that, to us, doesn't sound like a big deal. Is a big deal. In fact, at that time in England, it was illegal not to attend church on Sunday. And if you didn't attend the Church of England, you would be fined one shilling per person per day that you didn't attend. Doesn't sound like much, but a shilling is worth about $25 in today's money. Now think of that. For every Sunday, if you're a family of four, that you don't go to church, you pay $100. Not only that, but if you conduct worship service separately from the Church of England. That was like a felony. You could be imprisoned for that. You would certainly pay larger fines. And in fact, in 1593, two separatists were executed for holding church outside of the Church of England. That's a big deal begin to see what they were looking for, right? When they were talking about religious freedom, it was the freedom to meet separately from the Church of England. Well, they fled to Holland. They went to live in Holland because the laws in Holland were not that strict. They did indeed have religious freedom in Holland, But now they have a different problem. Their kids are growing up Dutch. They want them to be English. They were afraid that they wouldn't be able to safeguard their English customs. So they heard about the New World, and they saw a relocation to the New World as a chance to have the religious persecu- uh, religious freedom that they were looking for. And beyond that, they saw it as a chance to do mission. They could spread the gospel in the new, year, new world. 
They decided that the initial trip would be made by the younger and the stronger members. The remainder would follow when and if they could. On July of 1620, they left Hallam on the ship named the Speedwell. <laughs> you see, originally, they were going to go to the New World on a ship, a passenger ship called the Speedwell, and their cargo would go on a cargo ship called the Mayflower. They went from Holland to England on the Speedwell, and it sprung a leak. The ship owner said this would not make it to the new world. They're going to have to wait for a long time while the ship is repaired. They said, no, that won't do. So they shifted all of their cargo onto the Mayflower, and then they also crowded onto the Mayflower. So on August 15th, 1620, with 102 passengers and 60 tons of cargo, they crowded onto the Mayflower. The crew worked on the deck. The passengers all lived and spent their day underneath the deck in the cargo holds. Now the Mayflower was 90 feet by 25 feet. So, 90 feet would be back here at the back wall, going out through those doors to this end of the hospitality table. That is 90 feet long. 25 feet wide goes from here to here. There were 102 of them. And they spent their time 24-7 together. The voyage was 66 days, over two months. One crew member and one passenger died at sea. One child was born at sea. They named that child Oceanus. They arrived on the November the 11th, 1620, after 66 days. Now, after they arrived, they didn't just get off the ship and set up camp. They looked around, they scouted around for the blessed place that they could live. Around December the 29th, they found a village that had been abandoned about three years earlier. Its residents had been killed by a plague. So they had completed buildings. They figured, hey, good place for us to live. They moved in in early February. By March, over half of the community died. They had 102 members, 54 people died. 48 were left 
only four adult women. The local Indian community befriended them, helped them to plant vegetables that were appropriate for the new region, taught them how to hunt deer and turkey, taught them how to fish for fish and eel. Now you kind of get the picture. This is a five-year process. After a five-year journey that included persecution, unfair taxation, alienation from their homes, difficult journeys, disease, and death, their governor, Governor Bradford, said, let's give thanks. And he proclaimed a harvest celebration of Thanksgiving. They invited their neighbors, a tribe called the Wampanoags, and they brought 90 braves to the feast. That was more than twice what they currently had. The feast lasted for three days. That was the first Thanksgiving. Since that time, presidents in the United States issued a number of different one-off proclamations, but Abraham Lincoln officially set aside the last Thursday of November as a national day of thanksgiving in perpetuity. He did that in 1863 during the Civil War. In 1941, Congress changed that to the fourth Thursday in November and made it a national holiday as well. That was 1941 as Germany was sweeping through Europe. The point is this. In each one of those situations, you look at it and you think they really don't have anything to be thankful for. But you see, Thanksgiving is not a reaction to what's going on around us. It's a decision that we make to thank God for what he has given us. There's a scripture passage that came to mind as uh, I, was, I was thinking about this. It comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 29. Now this happens on Paul's second missionary journey. Paul had just begun to preach in Philippi. One day, as we're going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. They've come to tell you how to be saved. Now what she was saying was correct. It was right. But apparently Paul did not share Andy Warhol's uh, idea that you don't read your press, you weigh your press. Paul decided that it was not a good thing to have a demon-possessed girl shouting about him to the crowds. 
This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities at the local agora, the, the marketplace. They said the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They're teaching customs that are, that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Now, truth of the matter is that is not true. At this point, Rome considered Christianity a part of the Jewish religion. And it was legal to practice Judaism in Rome. But what are they going to say? They cast a demon out of a girl and we've lost our hopes of making an easy buck. Well, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Cyrus and the city official ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They're severely beaten. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. He knew that the penalty for letting a prisoner escape in Rome was your own death. So he decided, I would rather die by my own hand than let them do whatever they would do to me, possibly including crucifixion. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights. He ran to the dungeon, and he saw all the prisoners there, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow. What a story. What do we learn from it? First thing that absolutely amazes me. Paul and Silas had been accused with lies. They had been beaten publicly, thrown into prison, and their feet clamped in stock. That's uncomfortable. And they looked at each other and one of the two of them said, let's give thanks. Let's sing. Let's praise God. I imagine they had to look for things to give thanks for. 
the situation that they found themselves in was not one that you would normally look at and say, well, thank the Lord, praise the Lord. Look where I am. <laughs> I imagine they had to look for things to be thankful for. Maybe they gave thanks for the people who responded positively. I'm sure they were there. I'm sure that Paul and Silas knew of people who had accepted the Lord. Maybe they gave thanks that they hadn't been killed. Maybe they thanked God for the honor of suffering for him. But they gave thanks. They found something to thank God for and they gave thanks. And that thanksgiving was public and it was verbal. They didn't whisper to each other. They began to sing out loud, thanking God. Scripture tells us that the prisoners were listening. I imagine the jailer was also listening. He was there. He probably heard what was going on as well. And then, after they gave thanks, after they had this strange song service, something very unusual happened. There was an earthquake. The ground shook. The prison doors flew open. Their chains fell off. The jailer looked inside, but it was dark. He assumed that the prisoners did what he would have done, which is run. Starts to kill himself. Paul sees, says, hold it. We're here. He brings in light. And he gives himself to Jesus. Paul and Silas's thanksgiving changed their situation. It's quite a bit that we can learn from this passage, isn't there? The primary thing, thanksgiving is not a response. It's a decision. We don't have to be in the middle of great times to thank God. We can thank God even when things are tough. So my question this morning is, what about you? Where do you find yourself today? What are you going through right now? Now, maybe everything in your life is fine. And you have a lot to be thankful for. Great. Thank God for that. Maybe everything's going wrong. It's hard to find things to be thankful for. Maybe, and I suspect that most of us are in this category, we're somewhere in the middle. Yeah, a lot's going pretty good. But there are a couple of things that are tough. You know what? Thanksgiving is not a response to what's going on. It's a decision that you make to be thankful 
for what God has done. Even when not everything is wonderful. It doesn't matter. We are commanded to be thankful. We are commanded to sing to the Lord. In the book of Psalms, there are 40 commands to sing praises to our God. Most of them from David when he was fleeing from Saul who was trying to kill him. David said, give thanks to the Lord. He's good. Each one of us needs to find what we can be thankful for and thank God for that. This morning, what is it that we can take away from this? Well, we need to look for things that we can be thankful for. Even in the midst of difficult situations, you can usually find something. Look for what you can be thankful for. Part of giving thanks is to do it publicly and verbally. There's someone in your life that you can be thankful for. This morning, choose someone. And make the opportunity this week to express your gratitude to them verbally. Go to them. Let them know. Make sure that it's verbally. Don't send them a text. Don't send them an email. Go to them. Stand in front of them and say, thank you. Thank you for what you do. And finally, stand back and watch how God changes your world through your expressed gratitude. Thanksgiving changes the world around us. Sometimes it changes us. Sometimes it changes the situation. Sometimes it changes the person that we're giving thanks to. God will change your world through thanksgiving. Pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, today, as we think about these four questions, we ask simply, Lord, that you would show us the person who needs our expression of gratitude. Then, Lord, show us when and where we can make the time to go to them and say thank you. And today, Lord, we look to you and we say thank you 
for what you have done for us. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.